Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel. Page 263 in the blue Bible in front of you. When we left David last week, he had committed his adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover up his sin, he had her husband murdered. But then... He marries Bathsheba and then was joyously expecting another child with his new wife. 2 Samuel 11, though, ends on a sour note. This thing that David had done displeased the Lord, we're told. David thought that he had cleaned up the mess that he had made. As far as David was concerned, he had gotten away with his sin. But he hadn't cleaned up his sin with God. He'd only covered it up. Or so he thought. He married the woman. Good grief, what more does God want? If that doesn't make it right, I don't know what does. But God's displeasure with David is symptomatic of his problem here. He was living his life out of fellowship with God. You see, we can live our lives comfortably thinking all is well even though we're out of fellowship with God. And we can live in that state for a long period of time, thinking we're just fine, but God being displeased with us. You see, just because God hasn't dealt with our sin yet, doesn't mean we've gotten away with it. Doesn't mean that we're okay with God. This could be likened to an undiagnosed heart condition. You can have a heart condition and not know it. Thinking you're perfectly healthy. But when that heart attack hits you, you now know you've got a problem. David is about to have a heart attack. Follow along as I begin reading in the first verse, 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to David and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up. It grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler to the rich man. And the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. 
But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you all the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, for the, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord... That this child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word this morning. We pray that you would just help us to quietly reflect on what you're teaching us here in this passage. Help us to see what you want us to see about the sin in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One day, David is in his palace thinking all is well. I can imagine he and Bathsheba are looking at paint swatches to color the nursery, carpeting, Furniture, everything is fine. I mean, life could not be any better at this point. Nice home, nice family, everything is well. But then the prophet of God, Nathan, comes to David and he begins to tell him a story. The gist of the story is very simple. A rich man who had lots of flocks had a guest who came to his house. And instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep, he went and stole the sheep from a poor man who that's all he had was this one little ewe lamb. The rich man doesn't need the sheep. He's got lots of sheep. So he takes that that one from the poor man. Why use a story? Why come in and and tell this story about some guys with sheep? Why not just walk up to the king and say, you know what? You're a dirty dog. You cheated with the man's wife and then you killed him. Why not just do that? 
The use of the story to make a point was common back then. But you do understand, Nathan is taking his life in his hands when he goes in to tell the king. He already knows the king has killed one person to keep this thing quiet. What makes him think the king won't kill him too? So Nathan sneaks up on David with a story. Nathan gets David looking in a different direction at somebody else. And when David thinks the story is about somebody else, he lowers his guard. Nathan says he stole that sheep, took that prized possession of this man. He raised it like a child. David's reaction, he's furious. He's livid at this guy. David overreacts to this crime that he's just learned about. David even gets mad and says to Nathan, he ought to die. Because he had no pity on this guy who had only one sheep. Yeah, because David had all kinds of pity on Uriah, didn't he? Before he killed him. You see, when we don't want to deal with sin in our own lives, we usually react, overreact to sin in other people's lives. David calls for the death penalty for the stealing of this lamb. Nowhere in the Old Testament is stealing a capital crime. But David said, I want this sheep stealer killed. Which, by the way, the law did call for the death penalty for adultery and for murder. Hmm. You want a sheep stealer to be killed, but you want to get away with your sin. He's got the death penalty coming twice over. Oh, and by the way, I want him to make restitution fourfold before we kill him. When there's sin in our lives, we often become hypersensitive to the sin in other people's lives. This is a Freudian deflection kind of thing. We don't want to deal with ourselves. We want to focus on somebody else. Jesus saw this, remember, in Matthew's Gospel when he talked about get the beam out of your own eye before you start focusing on the speck in somebody else's eye. It's much easier to, to deal with somebody else's sin than to deal with our own. And we tend to exaggerate some other people's sin We always paint other people's sin in the worst possible light. And then our sin, well, you got to understand why I did it. You say, I'm an addict, right? No sympathy, no pity on other people when they sin, but all kinds of, of excuses when we sin. Here's a challenge to you. When you find yourself focusing on somebody else's sin... Stop and ask yourself, what sin are you overlooking in your own life that's causing you to obsess about what somebody else has done? 
David blows up and says, that guy ought to die. And Nathan said, really? You're that guy. And you can just hear the pin drop. When the prophet of God points his bony finger at the guy, at the king, you're him. You're that guy that has done this despicable thing. You wonder if Nathan, you're the man, and they went like this, right? (laughs) Expecting the fury of the king to come after him. Nathan was saying, you think you've gotten away with this, but you haven't. Notice David's sin has caused him to become so blind that when Nathan comes in and tells a story, come on, people, halfway through this story, you knew Nathan was talking about David, didn't you? I'm reading this thing, I'm like, come on, David, how can you not see? He's talking about you. But that's the way sin is. It blinds us to what's going on in our own lives. David can't see it. And when Nathan spins the tables on him and says, you're that guy, David's like, oh, crap. See, David plays all righteous and indignant. Oh, this thing ought not to have happened. He shouldn't have taken that man's lamb. Not realizing that he's setting the hook in his own mouth. And Nathan sums up the problem very succinctly. David's problem is he has sinned against God. Verse 9. Nathan says that you despised the word of the Lord. Verse 10, he says you despised God. In verse 14, he said you had utter, you've utterly scorned the Lord. Once he started, Nathan just unloaded, didn't he? He didn't stop. Hey, we, I've, I've opened the door. Let's just go through this thing. He can't kill me more than once, so let's go. He said, you're the man, and your problem is you had utter contempt. You despised God. But then, to make matters worse, Nathan takes the knife, he shoves it in, and then he gives it a twist. He said, this God that you had contempt for, this God that you despised, Oh, he's the God that took you from the fields when you were a shepherd and made you a king. This is the God who protected you from the first king who wanted to kill you. This is the God who gave you the kingdom. Everything. And then, when David is feeling bad, right? Nathan just pours salt in the wound. And he says, God says that as much as he's done for you, he would do that much more. And if that wasn't enough, you had all of this and you had to go and steal another man's wife. God said, I would have given you so much more. David has been ignoring God up to this point. He wasn't thinking about God when he sinned. He wasn't thinking about God when he tried to cover up his sin by killing Uriah. Oh, but God will have to be dealt with sooner or later, won't he? 
That's what David is learning here. You can run, but you cannot hide. God will have to be dealt with sooner or later. We can cover up our sin temporarily. But eventually, our sin will catch up to us. We saw last week the drama as it unfolded. And I said there were four acts that we were going to look at. And we did. But no play is over until the final scene. No drama is over until God has had his part. Many people today live as if the only acts that they will have in their life are the acts of this life. But even if you get through this life keeping your sin covered, there's still one more act, isn't there? The act of where we stand before God and give an account. There's another scene to the drama of our lives. David now is having to face the God that he's been running away from. In this story, we see God is using this man, Nathan, the prophet, to hold David accountable. God often uses Nathans in our life to hold us accountable. People who come in and will shoot straight and tell us the truth about what we've been doing, what's going on in our life. I don't know about you, but I don't like Nathans. I don't like when people point their finger at me and say, you're the man. Now, many of us, we want to be a Nathan in other people's life. I want to go around condemning people and tell them that, the sin that they've got going on in their life. That's fun, right? No. No. (laughs) But we like doing it for some reason. Because usually when when we play the role of Nathan, when we confront people with their sin, we're not doing it because we love them. We're not doing it because we're trying to help them. We do it with the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude. But God is expressing grace to David through this experience, your first thought might be, how in the world is being confronted with your sin a grace of God? It's a grace of God because if God hadn't stepped in and had Nathan say something to him, David would have comfortably just kept on going. Believing that, hey, it's okay. Believing that he's gotten away with his sin. He would have kept on going, believing, oh, nobody's the wiser. But when our sin is exposed and it's out in the open, now we have to deal with it differently. No, 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 no. We don't have to give up our sin just because it's exposed. You know what I'm talking about? Your sin's been exposed. My sin's been exposed in the past, but we kept going. Just having your sin exposed doesn't force you to stop. But at least it gives you an opportunity to stop. This is an opportunity God is giving him. Say, okay, you've not been paying attention to me. You've done what you wanted to do up to this point. Now, do you want to stop? This is a grace of God to give him that opportunity to stop. 
Let's reflect on what we've seen so far. Are you living your life today as if you will never be held accountable by God? If, as if you're going to be able just to skate through this life, skate into the next life, and never be held accountable for how you're living. Have you been convincing yourself that you're getting away with your sin? Have you tried? No, nobody knows. Nobody knows. We tell ourselves it's a secret sin. Are you convincing yourself that you're getting away with it because God hasn't judged it yet? Stop and look at all that God has done for you. Stop and look at all that God has done for you. This is the God that you're slapping in the face every time you choose to continue in sin. found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 51. It's on page 474 if you're using the blue Bible in front of you. If you look before verse 1, you'll see a heading that scripture, uh, the history has added to the scripture text for us. The heading to this Psalm 51 says, A Psalm of David... When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is now David's response to Nathan. Read these words beginning in verse 1, Psalm 51. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now drop down to verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This also is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who receive it and obey it. 
We've been asking ourselves as we've been going through this David series, what did David get right? Understand, David has messed up horribly. But Psalm 51 is David getting it right. Why in our lives do we keep repeating the same sins again and again? Because we don't get it. Say what you want about David. He finally gets it. You see, in Psalm 51, David is showing us how to do it right once we've done it wrong. David does wrong by committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then he makes it worse by trying to cover it up with murder. But when he's confronted, he does do the right thing. Now, of course, it's a given. He shouldn't have done the wrong thing in the first place. That's a given. But once we have done wrong, the question is not, should I have done wrong? No, once we've done wrong, the question is, now what do I do to make this right? David does a number of things, a series of things in this psalm that shows us he's now getting it right. First thing that he does right that we want to take notice of, he gives up the fight. He's been trying desperately to cover up his sin. When Nathan comes in and says, buddy, you're that man, you're that guy that stole somebody else's sheep. You didn't need to do it, you did it anyway. David immediately says, I have sinned against God. He gives up the fight. You understand that just because Nathan has confronted him doesn't mean he has to give up. You've had people stick their finger in your face and confront you with your sin. That didn't stop you, did it? Many people won't even acknowledge their sin. You show them receipts. You show them their fingerprints. You've got their DNA. That wasn't me. I don't know how my fingerprints got there, but that wasn't me. Just because David is confronted doesn't mean he has to give up, but he does. He stops the fight. What was he supposed to say? Was that wrong? Was it wrong to take another man's wife and and kill him? See, if somebody had told me that's wrong, I wouldn't have done it. But but i got to plead ignorance here. No, he knew better. So he didn't even try to say he didn't know better. But notice, David doesn't even make any excuses for his sin. He doesn't blame anyone else for what he has done. Well, God, you got got to understand. I mean, here's this this beautiful woman out there taking a bath naked out there in in public. I mean, what was I supposed to do? It's not my fault. She shouldn't have been out there like that. Or, Or he could have blamed God. Hey, God, you didn't have to make her so beautiful. David doesn't blame anyone else 
He's been working so hard to keep this sin from other people finding out about it. How many times when we're caught, we are sorry that we got caught, but we're not sorry for the sin. David just gives up. All right, I'm caught. Second thing David does is he doesn't just focus on the outward sin. David understood that his problem was not that he had committed adultery. His problem was not that he had committed murder. You see, he had a much bigger problem. How many times are we willing to say we are sorry for what we have done, but we won't admit that we wanted to do it? Stick with me. I'm I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean to hurt you. How many times have you heard that one? How many times have you said that one? I, I didn't mean to hurt you. What? All that hurtful stuff was coming out of your mouth and you didn't mean to say it? What was your point of saying all that hurtful stuff if it wasn't that you were trying to hurt me? We'll often admit when we're caught to what we've done, to the facts. But we won't admit to what was going on underneath in our hearts. Listen, when they find the stolen goods in your pocket, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to say, yeah, I did it. They know you did it at that point. They found the goods on you. We make that, well, that was my confession. No, it wasn't. You got caught. That's what you're sorry for. When we get serious about our sin, we do more than just focus on the external of what we've been doing. We begin to start looking at the internal, the issues of the heart, those things that you can't see. See, we often just, we want our sin to not be such a problem for us. Many times, we just want to manage it. We want to control our sin better. But David has moved beyond that thinking. His sin is exposed, and he has nowhere to hide. The third thing that we see that David does here that's, that's so good is he begins to do the hard work of dealing with his inner heart problem. He starts talking about inner truth versus the outward hypocrisy. He was living a lie. And he said, God, you want an inner truth. You want us to be true on the inside and on the outside. Verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. You see, confession is more than just admitting we've done something wrong. Yes, admitting that we've done something wrong is better than denying it and hiding it. But you see, we can confess to a sin and say, yes, I did it. 
but still not repent of the sin that we've confessed. You see, many of us, we want a fresh start. We want a do-over. But we don't want to do it over any differently. We want to just keep doing what we've been doing. We want the slate to be wiped clean. Let me off the hook. But also let me continue to do what I've been doing. But what good is a fresh start if all we're going to do is do the stuff that got us in trouble in the first place? Look at verse 4, Psalm 51. David calls what he has done here evil. He said, I have done this evil in your sight. David does not minimize his sin at all. He calls it evil. How many times do we do something very bad? Oh, that was just a, a mistake. Ah, that was a bad choice. Yeah, it was a bad choice. Yes, it was a mistake, but it was also evil. David does something right here, and he calls it for what it is. But what is this hard work? The hard work of dealing with our sin that I'm talking about here. True repentance is more than just saying, I was wrong. Confessing our sin is not the same thing as repentance. Because confession is easy. Repentance is hard. You know why? Because talk is cheap. You ever been one of those people that, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. I promise I won't do that ever again. Before the day's over, you've done it again. Right? Your words are still ringing in their ears. I won't do that again. And they catch you doing it again. Talk is cheap. Confession is easy. Repentance is hard. An inward change in the heart is hard. Changing our actions is hard. Anybody can give words. Fourth, David now in Psalm 51 starts to deal with the God that he's been avoiding. Look at verse 6. Psalm 51, 6 says, You delight in truth in the inward being. Now, we're going to deal with that last part, that second part there, in a minute. I just want you to focus on the first part. 51.6 says, you delight in truth. You delight in. This is huge, people. David now begins to talk about what God wants, what God takes pleasure in. Because David now cares about what God wants again. When David committed adultery, was it because he cared about what God wanted? No, he didn't care. He wanted what he wanted. When David committed murder, was it because he cared about what God wanted? 
No, he didn't care. But now, now that David is on the road back to God, he cares about what God wants. Do you see that? Let's break that down a little bit more. The road away from God is paved with the words, I don't care what God wants. The road away from God is paved with the words, I don't care what God wants. I want what I want. Nathan looked at David and he said, you despised the word of God. What word of God? The word of God that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit murder. David said, what? I don't care. I've got my own agenda. That's what matters to me. He despised the word of the Lord and he had utter contempt for God. Well, that's sure not the way we like to look at our sin, is it? I I made a mistake, but I I don't have contempt for God. I, I, okay, okay, okay. I, I did what God didn't want me to do, all right? But I didn't despise the word of the Lord. I just didn't do what God wanted. It's all semantics, isn't it? At that moment when we choose our sin, we're saying, God, I don't care what you want. But David is now on the road back. And he says, God, you delight in something and I care about what you want. I care about what you delight in. When we're starting our way back to God, we say, I care more about what God wants than what I want. Then look at verse 11. Psalm 51.11, David said, Cast me not away from your presence. He doesn't say, God, don't send me to hell. He says, God, let me stay in your presence. Don't push me away. This is a relationship thing. Nathan's words, as harsh as they were, do you know what the harshest ones were? God has done so much for you. How come that wasn't enough? David has been reminded of how much God has done for him. He has forgotten where he came from. Nathan was saying, dude, You could be out there watching sheep even now. God took you away from that and gave you so much. But now that David is on the road back to God, he cares about what God wants. He says, don't cast me away from your presence. You see that? God gave him so much. It's not the stuff that he cares about now. It's the God who gave him that stuff. David now realizes, I don't want to lose the presence of God in my life. You see, 
Because of his sin, God had hidden his face from David. You ever had sin in your life and you go to pray and it just feels like your prayers fall flat? They don't even bounce off the ceiling because they don't even get that high. David, I think, was experiencing that disfellowship with God. He's like, God, I want you back in my life. Look at verse 9. David says there, I want you to hide your face from my sin. Don't hide your face from me. Don't look at my sin, look at me. But let's put a finer point on this while we're here. People, our problem is not our actions. Our problem is our heart. For our actions spring from our heart. We do all these things, but I didn't mean it. We do all these things, but that's not me. Well, who is it if it's not you that's doing it? Our actions are a reflection of who we are. Our words are a reflection of what's in our heart. David is getting this. The solution to our problem is not to change our actions. The solution to our problem is to have a heart change. Because if our heart isn't changed, our actions will never change. Did you hear me? If our heart isn't changed, our actions will never change. Our solution then to the heart problem is to get our heart fixed. We focus on stopping the external sin rather than having God create a new heart in us. But if we're going to have a new heart... It's going to be more than just us saying, hey, let's do a do-over. Mulligan, give me another chance. That's not a new heart. Because if you're giving a fresh start with the same old heart, you're going to do the same old things. Nothing's going to change. Look at verse 7, Psalm 51, 7. David says, purge me with hyssop. That's a a branch that they would use to sprinkle the holy water with. He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Only God can wash us from our sin. Only God can do that cleansing. We can't. Look at verse 1, Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David does something here that I don't do. You probably don't either. He appeals to God for mercy because of God's merciful heart. According to your loving kindness, according to your mercy, that wouldn't be me. That probably wouldn't be you. See, I'd go to God and say, okay, God, I screwed up big time. I'll give you that one. Busted. I was wrong. But don't forget, I'm the guy that killed Goliath, all right? I'm just saying. When nobody else would go out there and kill that guy, I did. 
So, you know what? Let's call it even. All right? Let's say, you know what? One hand washes the other. You owe me. All right, I shouldn't have done it. Let's just call it even. David does not appeal to anything in himself. He has gone out on numerous battles for God and risked his life time and time again. And he doesn't say, God, forgive me because of all the good stuff I've done for you. He said, God, the only thing I've got to stand on is your mercy and your grace. That's it. There's nothing that we can do to effectively deal with sin on our own. Our only hope is for God's mercy. Now understand, God's mercy does not mean that He doesn't take our sins seriously. The text, the way it's written, doesn't do justice for what David went through. Nathan says, you're a dirty dog, you shouldn't have done this. And David said, I've sinned. And Nathan says, you're forgiven. And when you read it, bang, 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 it seems like, well, that was easy. No, no, no. Psalm 51 shows us that David did not get off easy. And he understood how serious God was taking his sin. God's wonderful mercy doesn't mean that God doesn't take our sin seriously. We often focus exclusively on covering up the sin that we've been committing. Present tense, ongoing. You know what I'm talking about? We will spend more time trying to keep the cover-up going than to deal with the sin that we're trying to cover up. Or we'll try to stop the sin all on our own. I had a guy tell me recently, he said, well, I got myself into my sin. He said, I'm going to have to get myself out. What a stupid thing to say. That you think you can get yourself out of your sin by yourself. Your years and years of addiction prove you can't do it. Our problem is not our sin. Our problem is our heart. Confessing that we are wrong is useless if we don't turn around and start going in the right direction. You see, truth in the inner person, which is what David says that God wants, you delight in truth. Stick with me. Truth in the inner being is more than just admitting when we're wrong. Truth in the inner person happens when we start doing the right thing because we want to. When we desire what God desires, we don't just pretend on the outside to want it. Why does David say in verse 2, wash me? Because he knows, number one, he needs to be washed. And he knows, number two, he can't do it. Can you feel the change that's coming over David? Instead of trying to cover up his sin, he says, God, I need cleansing. You see, 
It's like the end of a hot, sweaty day when you've been working outside and you're filthy from head to toe. And you're, you, you can't wait to finish, not because you want the job done. You can't wait to finish because, man, i got to go take a shower. I'm filthy. And when you finally put the last tool back in the shed, when you're finally done, right? You go take a shower, not because mom says, you better go take a bath. You take a shower because you want to be clean. You don't want to be dirty anymore. The same is true with David. He wants to be clean. He's tired of his sin and the unclean feeling that goes with it. Before, David was working so hard to cover his sin at any cost. Now he's broken hearted. He's broken hearted over his sin. And he longs for God's mercy. Think about your sin that you've been committing lately. That sin that you've been trying to cover up. Are you sick of it yet? Are you tired of who you've become? The hypocrite living one way, saying one thing, when you know that you know that you know you're full of baloney. You're covering it up, praying to God that nobody finds out what you've been doing. Think about your sin and how you have been trying to deal with it. 